The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning, Parkview. My name is Doug Fern, uh, one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the uh, privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, last couple weeks, we have been, I don't know if you're like me or not, but my life kind of in our home kind of revolves around the academic calendar. And so at the beginning of the year, we see that as a great opportunity to establish new routines, to work on certain disciplines and kind of just recalibrate where you're at. And as a church, many of us are in that same boat, a, a town that really centers around the university. A lot of us see our lives in a very similar light. And so as a church, what we're trying to do is kind of recalibrate, go back to the basics of what this thing is all about. All about. And so as you guys come in here week after week after week for the last number of years, over here on the side, you see um, three simple phrases, love God, love others, and serve the world. And as we consider what it means to be a part of this church, this church is unique. It's distinct from other churches. And as a church, as a body of believers, we see that this is really what God has, has called from us. And sometimes you can lose sight as you read um, message after, listen to message after message, read passage after pastor, passage you can lose sight of the things that really matter the most. And so our focus this morning, last week, what Pastor Schillinger did last two weeks is he talked about loving God and loving others. And he did that primarily from a, a pretty popular passage in the scripture called the Great Commandments. Somebody asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, of all the commandments, of all the things in the Bible, what's the most important? What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he said, the, the first, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's, that's the, the great and first commandment, is to love God. So the first week we talked about what does it look like to be in a loving relationship with God, this vertical dynamic, a vertical relationship with Lord of the universe. And then last week we focused about how as a result of being in this sort of vertical relationship, a relationship with God that you are then called to extend that love out to your neighbor. And Jesus said the second commandment, the second greatest commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. So last week we talked about loving others. Loving others. So as it would follow, this morning our task is to talk about what does it mean then to serve the world to serve the world. And we're going to, kind of like what Pastor Schillinger did, we're going to go to a, a passage of Scripture, which for some of you may be very basic. It also may be very familiar. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. We'll start in verse 16. And this passage of Scripture is often referred to as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. So the last two weeks we looked at the Great Commandment, and this week we're focusing, we're turning our attention to the Great Commission. Start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord this morning in a word of prayer. Father, Lord, I pray that right now as we look at these words, these words that Jesus said to his disciples, Lord, I pray 
um, that your spirit would be here in this place, Father. As we consider what it means, what you have called your church to in serving the world, Lord, I pray that you would, you would stir in your hearts right now, in the hearts of your saints, Father. I pray that you would stir uh, a desire and a zeal for you and for your name, um, and that you would give us courage and obedience as we seek to make you known throughout this world, Father. I pray that we would leave, that there would be nobody who could leave this room today as our prayer, that there would be nobody who could leave this room today without knowing um, what steps of obedience they could take um, in obeying this great commission, Father. So I pray you would be here. I pray you would use me, speak through your word. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Um, so this past summer, my, my wife is from Belize, and we had the opportunity to spend some extended time in Belize this summer with family. And uh, when we go to Belize, we love it because, well, we have four kids, about to add our fifth. We don't have a lot of money. And the amazing thing about going to Belize is that there are so many beautiful, wonderful things you can do that don't cost any money. So it's right up my alley. Um, we get there, you got the ocean at your door. You can swim and play with the dolphins if you want. You've got the rainforest that you can explore. There's the Mayan ruins. There's unbelievable. The, the beauty down there is unmatched. It's unbelievable. Um, the first time I went, uh, it was the first we were dating, and uh, it was the first time that I had ever been there. Really didn't know much about the country. And as we get there, um, shortly after they were there, they decide they want to take us on a little drive into the mountain to go to a waterfall. And I thought that sounds like fun. A nice, cute, charming little waterfall. Let's do it. I'm down for that. So we get to this. Uh, we get in the truck. The kids pile in the the pan of the truck. The family's in there. And we're driving up there, and then we, we get as close as we can get with the truck and we park and then we get out and walk and um, we walk I don't know probably a mile mile and a half and I'm the only one I think wearing shoes at the time and um, we're walking across these slippery rocks and you kind of get into the jungle and there's this real pleasant little stream that kind of flows down from the mountain and there's these rocks you kind of have to jump over and you can kind of slip on and then you get in and tucked into this mountain you open up you come around the corner and you see this beautiful you can kind of hear it for a few minutes before you get there but you see this beautiful waterfall and it just dumps into this really small pool of water it's gorgeous it was gorgeous so we're splashing around we're playing in the water it's a lot of fun and then her brother says hey why don't we climb up to that cliff that ledge up there and just jump right off. Well, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that, you know? So he goes up, he climbs up the rock, and he gets on the ledge, and I would say probably 20-ish, uh, 25 feet maybe high. It was quite a ways up. He gets off to the, the ledge of the rock, and then he just kind of splashes in the water. It was really cool. And he's like, all right, Doug, your turn. And I, at this point, I have no option, all right? I have to, I'm jumping off that rock, okay? I didn't want to. There's not a bone in me that wanted to. So I climbed up there. I get off to the ledge, and he's down there in the water, and he says, okay, Doug, so, so right here's where you want to land, you know? And he makes his hand about the size of a dinner plate, okay? That's my target, okay? It feels real good looking up, and you can see where it's dark right there at that dinner plate, and so he's like, that's where you're going. I'm like, all right, here we go. So off the ledge and into the water. It was an exhilarating experience. It was phenomenal. It was really fun. The, the water was refreshing and the heat and everything. It was just beautiful and it was a ton of fun. Luckily, I made that dinner plate. I nailed it, right? I, I don't do it anymore. I have nothing to prove. I've got the prize, okay? So um, I will not do it again. Um, that being said, as we look at this morning's text, what can happen sometimes if we go to that illustration of the waterfall? When I was sitting on that ledge, well, I first started standing and then I had to sit. You know, I'm six feet five, so I just made the distance. I was falling a little shorter. So while I was sitting on that ledge, I was in a place of comfort. There was something really comfortable. There was something secure and safe about that ledge. 
all right? But if I would have stayed up on that ledge, I would have missed just a phenomenal experience. I would have missed it. And as we look at this morning's text, what can happen sometimes, if you're like me, what can happen sometimes is you can read through words that Jesus himself spoke. And these aren't the only ones. There are a number of words in the Bible that he speaks that when you read them, you begin to feel uncomfortable. You can begin to feel like these words might be pushing you off of a ledge, like they might be able to do that. And there's some security, there's some security, there's some safety and some comfort that as we read these words, we might be tempted to rest in and not follow necessarily. My hope is this morning, and as I've been reading this and just studying, with, studying this passage, my hope is that you guys, you as well, would be able to leave this place and you would know real specifically what are steps you can take today to obey these words. What are steps you can take to obey these words? Now, as we consider this idea of serving the world, of taking the gospel message to the nations, as we consider that, it's a pretty amazing task. It's a pretty amazing task. And some of us may feel like it's uncomfortable for us to do something like that. And I would just ask that you just go along for the ride this morning and just see where it takes. And hopefully you'll leave here today and you'll know exactly what the Lord is placing on your heart and stirring in you. This morning as we look at it, we're really going to focus on verses 18, 19, and 20. And the three things that we're going to see is the first one is that there is a supreme claim. Jesus makes a supreme claim. The second thing we'll see is that he gives his disciples a great commission. He asks them to do something. He tells them to do something. And the third thing we see is that he also gives them a divine commitment. Supreme claim, the great commission, and a divine commitment. Um, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, everything that will come from, everything that will follow in, these, in this text hinges on this very important truth that Jesus is supreme over the nations. He is supreme over all of creation. Jesus himself is declaring authority over all of creation. And this should not be new. If you have read much up until this point, the disciples, as they're hearing him say this, this is not news necessarily. Remember, these are some of the same guys that back in Mark were in a boat with him. They were in a boat with him in chapter four. And if you remember the story, the story goes something like this. He's, he's in a boat and Jesus is cooling in the back, taking a nap. Right? And all of a sudden, the winds start to blow, rain comes down, and waves smash up on the boat. And his disciples begin to panic, and their boy Jesus is sleeping in the boat. So they wake him up, Jesus, come on, man, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? And Jesus, with his very words, commands the winds, and the waves cease. The storm listens to Jesus. The response of the disciples, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus, when he walked on this earth, had a power that was unlike any power this world had ever seen. And if you trace his story through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the books of the Bible which they tell us about his life, if you trace his life, you will see page after page that Jesus has power. Jesus has authority over the weather, people. Jesus has authority over sickness, over, over death, over demons. Jesus has authority over the mountains and the wind and the sun, the entire cosmos. Jesus directs. 
He, is a, he has authority over the entire creation. These words that Jesus speaks here resemble words that were spoken hundreds of years prior in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, 13, and 14. The prophet Daniel, when he sees this vision of Jesus, the Son of Man that would come, it says that he will come in the clouds from the sky. And that when he comes, the Bible says, Daniel goes on, into him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed the vision that Daniel has of the son of man is one who comes with authority authority over the nations hundreds of years before Jesus walked on the earth and then we see Jesus here now setting in motion with his disciples a way that he will ultimately bring a people back to himself Then if we were to skip all the way to the end of our book in Revelation chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, John gets this picture of what what it will look like when it's all said and done. He gives us a glimpse of what Jesus himself will accomplish. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. When John gets a glimpse into the future, what does he see around that throne? John sees people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation worshiping Jesus. God is faithful to his word. He promises he will accomplish it. Jesus, in this morning's passage, sets in motion a program that shows how he's gonna do it. And then we see in the future, it happens, proves himself faithful. Jesus, folks, his authority, he has authority over the entire creation. We also learn that Jesus has authority over the church, Colossians chapter 1, verses 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Some would say that perhaps The most urgent matter facing the church today is this very issue of authority. Both authority within the church, the authority that directs us, but then also the authority of the church. See, Jesus has authority over all of the church. Concerning the form, the way that the church is structured, he gives guidelines, he is the head of the organization, if you will. But he also has authority over the function of the church. What exactly does the church do? Jesus directs it. He has authority over the church. Perhaps our most controversial one is that Jesus has authority over you and me. In our culture, this is a very unpopular idea. The notion that someone other than me has authority to tell me what to do. It's not politically correct in the slightest. The Bible tells us that whether you acknowledge his authority and submit to it, or you reject his authority and rebel from it, regardless of your response, he has authority over you. God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Regardless of how you respond to his authority, he has authority over you, and one day your knee will bow. One day my knee will bow. So you see, the question this morning isn't if he is Lord of all or Lord of you. He he is. He's established that. It's not the question. The question is, will you submit to his authority? Will you submit your, your life to his authority? Will you submit your career to his authority, your, your bank account? 
to his authority? Will you submit your, your family, your children to his authority? That's the question before us this morning. Jesus doesn't just have authority over the darkest parts of this world. Folks, he has authority over the darkest parts of your life. And for some of us this morning, that should bring comfort. That should bring comfort. So we see that Jesus has a supreme authority. The next thing we see in verse 19 is that Jesus gives his disciples a great commission. The, the Greek verb translated go is actually not a command, but a, but a present participle, going. So it's not, he doesn't say go, rather he says, as you're going, as you go, make disciples, as you go. For, for, for the Christian, our faith is a missionary faith. Uh, the very nature of God demands us, demands this for it to be a missionary faith. If you think about it, what did God do? He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our misery and our pain and our suffering, and he sent his son to earth. Jesus came. He went. He was sent. God calls us in. As you read in the Bible and you see character after character, he calls people in, not to keep them in, but he calls them in that he might send them out. That's what he does time and time again throughout history. He calls us in to send us out. God saw us separated from life, cut off from the promises, and his response was to go. Likewise, we are as believers, if you're here this morning and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you've submitted your life to him, then you too are a goer. And as you go, what are you supposed to do? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. We are to make disciples. So as we go, the activity that we are involved in, the work that we are supposed to be doing is making disciples. Jesus is very clear on this point. We are called to make disciples. A disciple then is someone who has believed with their trust in the Lord Jesus, expressed this faith by being baptized and, and folded into a community of believers. A, dis a disciple's main responsibility, their central focus is to reproduce themselves make more disciples. And in, in this morning's passage, there's only one command. There's only one imperative, and that is make disciples. The command is make disciples. In the Greek, it would have been two words, one word. In our language, it's two words, make disciples. He's very clear on the mission. So the question that would naturally follow is, well, then how, Jesus, do we make disciples? And in our day and age, we have a temptation, and we have tremendous resources, tremendous resources, and we have learned so much that we can develop some amazing strategies that would help us do this, accomplish this. But the best strategy that we can do is simply to follow the words of our Lord Jesus. He says that we should go and we should baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And baptism, for those of you, isn't the thing that you do that. That saves you. It's, it's an outward expression of an inward change. So once you've been changed, then you, you demonstrate the, the word by being baptized. That's how you show everyone what's happened inside. So, so as we go, we are to show the word. And then next, he says, we should teach the word. For, for those who have received the gospel, submitted their lives to his authority, he calls that they are to teach and they should be taught to walk in obedience to the scriptures. And I love this emphasis on obedience. You see, folks, it's not a, simply an idea of cramming information into our heads. 
That's not what he calls us to do, is to simply just grow in our knowledge and our understanding. That's not the picture of a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is, yeah, you, you should know theology. You should grow in the scriptures and your understanding of the word of God, but it has to work its way out through your life. That's called obedience, is when the, the, the knowledge that you have transforms the way that you think and the way that you live. You have to be obedient to scriptures. So the mission we're given is to make disciples, to make disciples. And in today's day, in our world, this is, this is the part that we have to just kind of pause because in our world, if we were to just look around, turn on the news, you will see need after need after need in our world. In our country, you see needs and opportunities all over the place for Christians, for the church to be involved in good work. Okay? But Jesus doesn't say, go do good things. Jesus says, make disciples. And sometimes this can be a point of tension, especially on the mission field and, and when we consider the mission of the church. But the example that Jesus himself gives us is awesome. He gives us an awesome example of how we're supposed to be doing this. See, as Jesus walked on the earth, if he came across somebody who was sick, Jesus would stop. And the Bible gives us story after story after story of lame people, blind people that Jesus would touch and heal. They would stand up. Their eyes would be open. He would heal the sick. And when Jesus would teach, it tells us that if there were people that were hungry, Jesus wouldn't just let them be hungry. He would feed them. If there was somebody he came across that had a demon in them that was demonic possessed, Jesus would cast the demon out. As he lived his life, he did good thing after good thing after good thing, all the while not losing sight of the main thing. Tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew his mission and he knew it well. And the entire time he lived on earth, he was making disciples. That's the work he was involved in. Those two things were not at odds with each other, doing good and making disciples. He brought them into one lifestyle. And as Christians, as we consider and we step back and we say, okay, Parkview, there are so many opportunities in this church for you to be involved and for you to make disciples and to walk in obedience with the Great Commission. So many different opportunities here locally and globally. So many opportunities. As we consider the options that we put before you as a church, as leadership, we are very intentional about developing relationships, establishing partnerships with groups and organizations and people who are in the business. They may not necessarily be in the business of making a disciple, but it's an opportunity for us to be involved in making disciples. That's why we have the partnerships that we do here at the church. We are about making disciples. So then he says, make disciples. And the last phrase there, he says, of all nations. So he kind of tells them, this is what you're supposed to do. If you were to skip down past the nations part, baptize and teach, that's how you do it. And who do you do it for? You do it for all nations. The assignment to take the gospel message to others was not a new assignment for the disciples. For these 11 guys sitting here, this was not the first time they were sent out to make disciples. The difference here, the distinction here, is that this time they're sent out to the nations. The first time they were sent out, they were sent out to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jews. That's who their mission was too. And now Jesus is telling them, no, 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 it's not just for the Jews. It's for the entire world. The term that it would have been used over and over again would have been Gentiles, for the nations, every ethne. 
So Jesus is very clear about the work and he specifies the goal. The goal is the nations, every tongue, every tribe. And if you were to trace, if you were to pick up your Bible and you were to start at the beginning and go all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you would see passage after passage, verse after verse, where there is a God in heaven who's reclaiming to himself people from every tribe and every tongue. All the way back to Abraham, when he first establishes the covenant with Abraham, Abraham, through you, I am going to be a blessing to the nations. And then time and time again, it's a story about God calling a people to himself from every tribe and every tongue, verse after verse. I love the way Isaiah puts it in chapter 49, verse 6. He said, it is too light a thing. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It is too small of a thing that Jesus just calls back the house of Israel. It is too light of a thing that this message is just for one people group. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All the way back from the beginning of this book, God is calling a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation to his throne. He's making worshipers of him. Now, if we were to step back and to ask ourselves, okay, well, how is that going? What does that look like today? This idea of nations, it's not back then nations would have changed. There's different nations now. So what was he referring to? Well, he's not talking about nations as they're defined geographically or from a, a topographical map. Not the way that lined up country after country, but rather the way that people groups are divided by language, by culture, some location, all those different factors. And if we were to just take those things, different sources, you'd get online right now and you'd hear two or three different numbers, um, but all works out to be about the same, same math. There's about today in our world about 16,000 people groups, about 16 total, 16,000 total people groups. And of that 16,000, the total unreached people groups, the amount, when I say unreached, I'm talking about a group of people, a people group that does not have a church. That you, I could fly you over, I could drop you out of a helicopter, you would land and you would walk for days, for weeks, and never once see a church, never once see a Bible, never hear the name of Jesus. Over 7,000 today, it's remarkable. If you think about the technology, if you think about the, the opportunities we have to take this message to the world, unbelievable. But yet today, 7,000, over 2.8 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. They have no church that they could go visit. There's nobody there who, who is of that people group who is a follower of Jesus. 42.1% of the world, of the total population, is unreached today. And it's amazing because if you think about what, um, what Jesus has called us to, he's called us to walk in obedience to him. And a very common response when we talk about our call to serve the world um, a very common response would be that, well, aren't there people right here in our country? There's, there's people right here in our community who, who are not disciples, who do not claim Jesus as their king. Shouldn't we focus on those people? And what I would say is I think if that's your hesitation, if that's your response, I think you're missing the point. 
Because the, the point with Jesus this morning, the point with these verses, isn't, isn't an issue of lostness. The, the, the problem with our current situation, it's, it's not a problem of, of lostness. It's an issue of access. 42.1% of the world has no access to the Bible, to, to, to the very word that if you're sitting here today and you call him claim that has, has revolutionized your life. 42.1% of the world, no access. I love the way the missionary John Falconer puts it. He says, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. I'd rather have it burn out in a land filled with darkness than a land flooded with light. There could be some people here this morning who God is stirring in your heart a desire to take this message to the nations. And we want to do nothing but to encourage that. Um, as we continue on in the text, you know, the way I look at this, I don't know about you guys, but one of my favorite things to, one of my favorite activities is just simply barbecue. I love barbecue. I love to make barbecue and I really, really love to eat barbecue. And so anytime we go to a new town, a new city, whatever, one of the first things I do is I get on my phone and I try to find, okay, where's the, where's the closest barbecue place just to see what they got. And the best barbecue I ever had in my life was in this small, just kind of side. I mean, you would not know this was a store. If you were to walk by, you'd probably not even think about going in it, okay? It was in Jacksonville, Florida. I think it was called Jenkins Barbecue. It was phenomenal, okay? You walk in, they just had these big pitchers of Kool-Aid. I mean, it was, it, was, uh, it was unbelievable. What they served was basically four things on the menu. They had four things. Really, it was two. They had, you could get a full slab of ribs, or you could get a half slab of ribs. That was kind of one item. The other item was you could get a, now stay with me here, a full chicken sandwich or a half chicken sandwich. That's their menu, folks. Ribs and chicken. It was fantastic, okay? So I thought, I can't even imagine what a full chicken sandwich looks like, all right? And I don't want to even, I don't think I want to see that, okay? So I said, let me get the half chicken sandwich. I'll just kind of play it safe. I wasn't too sure about, you know, how they were passing their inspections and all that. So let me just stay with the half chicken sandwich. All right, so he brings out, here's what he does. He, he brings out a plate and he pulls, he reaches into a great value, Walmart, for those of you who are a little uppity, Walmart bag of bread. Brings out a little slice of bread, puts it on the plate. Then he, he reaches into the smoker and pulls out a half a chicken. Yeah, a half chicken. Bones in it and everything. Sets it right on top of the piece of bread. Then he grabs this jug of uh, Carolina, you know, mustard kind of barbecue sauce, and just drenches the thing in sauce. And I'm just like, this is amazing. Then he reaches back and grabs another piece of bread, smacks it on top of that thing, and douses it again with more barbecue sauce. And he's like... There's your half chicken sandwich, and it was a half a chicken. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was the, just the way, I just can't even get into it. The, it was so perfectly smoked. The bones just fell right away from the meat. It was unbelievable. And the sauce, all oh, the sauce. When I look at this passage, I, I could keep going. When I look at this passage, this passage is like a sandwich. It's like a sandwich. If you look at the first part of the passage, what Jesus says is, and this piece of bread, he says, I have all authority. I have all authority, all power on earth, it's here. Then in the middle of the sandwich, he gives his disciples a mission. Go, make disciples. And on the opposite side, what we see, the other piece of bread, that sandwich, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. He gives us, and the final part of this passage, the final part of book of Matthew, he gives us a divine 
commitment. He says, now, it, you may be tempted to stay in a place of comfort. There's security on that ledge. I feel you. It's safe. There's safety here. But if you don't jump into that pool, my goodness, you miss out on a blessing. And sometimes I think like right now, if you're sitting in this room and this is a call that God has been putting in your life and working in your heart, I know there was a time in my life where I thought this is what God wanted for me. I thought he wanted me to go. There was friends in college who were going to the Middle East, Indonesia. They were going to China, going all over the place. And I thought, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There was a book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. I sat down at the Java house over on Mormon Trek. I read that book. It was winter break, okay? So I had nothing else to do. I read it, the whole book right there, and my life just got rocked, okay? And I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do. I thought that's what the call was. And what can happen sometimes, now listen to me closely. What can happen sometimes is, is we can, if, if that's what you're feeling, God may be stirring in you a desire to take his word and to make disciples of the nations. What can happen is as you begin to speak that call to other people, the response can be very interesting. And a lot of times the response could be like, whoa, it seems just, just calm down a little bit, okay? A little extreme, aren't we, Doug? Not a little crazy. Don't you think it's just a little crazy? They kill people like you over there. You really want to go there? It's a little extreme, Doug, a little crazy. That can be the response. Let me tell you what I think is extreme. What I think is just a little crazy, and just forgive me for a moment, is if you were to read this passage and so many others like it in the Bible, and the idea of serving the world, making disciples of the nations, is nowhere on your radar. I think that is crazy. That you could read the words of Jesus himself. And serving the world isn't reflected in your bank account. It's not reflected in your prayer life, in your relationships, and where you go and how you spend your time, the priorities in your life. To, to read this and to be not even close to participating in it. I think that is extreme. I think that's extreme. And a, a place that we can go very easily is we can slip into guilt. And that's not the hope this morning. That's not the hope this morning. Again, we are all in different walks of life, different places in our journey. Um, and, and when the, the Bible talks about a disciple, my, my hope as a man is that I would just grow in obedience. And a lot of times day 20 looks very different than day one. All right, and so wherever you are this morning, I would just challenge you. What does growing in obedience look like for you? What does it look like for you? I'm just going to give you, I don't, I think there's maybe five or something on there. I'm just going to give you a couple of action steps, things that you could do even today to practice obedience to this. And remember, now if you were to go back to the beginning of this passage, Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples. And when he shows up on the mountain, when they see him there, the response is two different responses. There's one group of people that worship him, that bow down and they worship him. And then there's another group of people. These are the 11, the disciples who saw this man crucified. And then there's some who doubted. What, what does that tell us? It tells us these are not great men of the faith. This is you and me. There are, there are fears present when Jesus speaks it to them. And so he sandwiches this mission with his authority and his presence, his power and his presence, and he sends them action steps. I'll give you a couple. First one is welcoming. Some of us, the simple thing we have to do 
is be a welcoming type of person. The Bible says that we should welcome one another just like God has welcomed us through Christ Jesus our Lord, that we are to welcome one another. Just, you know, for some of us, this, this is a big thing, okay? Because we can walk around and not interact with people. Maybe people scare us or intimidate us a little bit. We're not keen on the social interactions or, or we're standing in line and our nose is just always in our phone. Maybe that's it. Pull your nose out of the phone. Just see people around you. Just welcome those around you. Just meet people. Welcome. Next thing is to pray. There are so many resources where you can pray that this would happen, that God would use you, that God would use your family, your children to see his purposes accomplished. Pray. There are phenomenal resources, even out at the resource book. One of the ones that, uh, that I've used a lot in the past has been Operation World. I think it's available out there. It lists every people group or the country. I think it goes country by country. It lists all the different people groups, the languages, gives you all kinds of information and specifically tells you how you can pray for disciples to be made. And that nation. Another way I would say is really important is to give. Is to give. Is it reflected in your bank account? Do you give your money to this? I love the way William Carey, he was a great missionary in the uh, 18th century to the country of India. And as he considered God's call on his heart to go to India, his response was phenomenal. He said, I will go down in the mine of India, but will you hold the rope? Will you hold the rope? And when we talk about making disciples of nations, there's really the, the, going, the goers and there's the senders. Somebody has to go down in the mine while the rest of us holds that rope. We, we give. Another way that you heard Jenny mentioned it earlier was the Friends of International Students. There's a kiosk right out there. Jay is out there. You can sign up right now. Um, Paul told me, that there was, I believe, 24 folks, 24 families, people from Parkview who are currently um, kind of adopted an international friend who've stepped into this friendship with, with international students. There's currently still a need for 70. There's 70 individuals, international students who are here, who may have their entire academic career in our community and then go back to their country or go to a different part of the world and never once be in an American's home. What an opportunity for us to make disciples of the nations. I would say if you're a family here, how do you talk about the world with your children? How do you talk about the world with your children? Well, around the dinner table, Deuteronomy chapter 6 calls us, it tells us that we are to instruct our children to follow and obey God's commandments. And where this commandment, it's not an exception, okay? Keeping the main thing, the main thing is what we're trying to do. With our kids, do you do that? At Faith Academy, there's a section of time in the year, in November, where we block out kind of a, a unit on the nations. And we spend a couple of days with each country. We learn about the country. Um, the beginning of this year, I kind of just, I think one of the first questions I asked as we started up the school year was, does anybody know how many people are in the world? And sure enough, a little girl who was in second grade last year raised her hand, 7.2 billion, Mr. Fern? Yeah, 7.2 billion, okay? Just those kinds of facts go a long way teaching our kids that you are not the center of the universe, okay? There's a world out there that exists. And the last way that you can participate in this, making disciples of the nations, is by going, is by going. Pray over that. And there's no requirement by age. You know, I think it's funny that when Jesus says that the, the harvest is plentiful, he doesn't say that the resources are few, that there's no money. He doesn't say that the harvest is, there's a big harvest, but there's just not enough money. He doesn't say that. He says there's a big harvest, but there's no workers. There's nobody going. So if that's you and you feel that nudge, there's no age requirement. You don't have to have, I mean, you pray on that thing, and God will use you. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you for just this opportunity this morning to center our time around um, really what the mission of this church is, and not just this church, but your church, Father. Um, that we would be in the business, not just corporately as a church, Lord, of making disciples, but that individually, Lord, that you would stir in your heart and affection a zeal for your name and the lives of the people in this room right now, Father. And that out of that zeal to make you known, to take your message to the darkest corners of this world, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength and obedience and courage to walk and to follow in your footsteps, Father, and to, to accept the commandment, Lord, that you've called us to make disciples of the nations. And so um, I pray that if there's comfort, if there's a restraint from comfort or from security or from just what's known, Lord, um, that you would uh, just give us the ability to um, just dive into obedience, Lord, um, and experience the blessing that will come. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 522-45.